And she says, an ancient people from a distant galaxy. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, she just said a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, we could roll the credits. You would have been mad if she had said that. <laughs> the internet would have been mad if she had said that and then just like looks at the camera like Jim from The Wait, Office yeah. and then the credits roll. everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish. Good looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we are the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture, but it's mostly Star Wars. And today is a very special day. Long have I waited. <laughs> Because we're talking about the first two episodes of the new Disney Plus show, Ahsoka, my favorite character by Like A Lot. But first, before we get into all of that, if any of you here are new, welcome. Uh, for those of you who are coming back to us, welcome back. We really appreciate it. We will be covering Ahsoka weekly. So if you'd like to keep up with that and everything else we do here at Krypton to Alderaan, hit that subscribe button if you're on YouTube or follow us or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We have been having a lot of fun on YouTube lately. We have gotten some good momentum in terms of new subscribers and views. So if you could hit that subscribe button and don't miss out on anything we do here on Krypton to Alderaan. What do you think about that, Royce? 100 years, Krypton to Alderaan. You and me, Joey. 100years.com, yes. Krypton to Alderaan.com backslash Ahsoka. If any of you are all the way out there on traveling the pathway to Peridia, subscribe so you don't miss out and also drop us a line. Anyway, I think that's all of the housekeeping there. Subscribe, follow us on socials. That's a good one. Follow us on all social media. We are at Krypton to Alderaan pretty much everywhere. And that's enough of that. Let's get into the show. Punch it, Padawan Learner Royce. Smooth. Okay, Royce, I'm very excited about this. We are going to be talking about the premiere of Ahsoka, which was broken up into two parts. Part one, Master and Apprentice, and part two, Toil and trouble. Ooh, witchy stuff. Spooky, witchy stuff. That's what we're going to do here today. I'm so, oh my God. It's very hard for me to control my excitement. It's very hard for me to not just look <laughs> at my Ahsoka shrine behind me in the camera. First things first, Royce. For those of you who don't know, Royce and I have very kind of specific definitions, personal definitions as to what makes Star Wars special to us. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. And we're going to continue to talk about it, especially today and probably over the course of the episodes for this show. That being said, and with that in mind, Royce, how was that Star Wars opening for you? Are you referring to the... A crawl. The crawl. A pan down to a ship. It's an old code, sir, but it checks out. The music, all of it. Yeah, I mean, my the first note I wrote I just watched it live. I didn't take notes while watching it. I, I just enjoyed the series and I took some notes this morning before recording. And my first note was, it feels like Star Wars. The, yeah. the essence that you expect Star Wars to have, 
this show has it in spades. And <laughs> are we really going to start right from the crawl? Because I feel like I could do a whole whole episode just <laughs> on the crawl alone. But I mean, that was a surprise of like, hey, remember this this thing that we used to do? It's a little different. So feel free to make a clickbait YouTube uh, thumbnail and title about this particular thing if you like. But there was a yeah. crawl. We haven't seen a crawl since, I think, Solo. So mm. it's been a while. We also haven't seen Corellia since Solo. What do you know? Which is, uh, I don't think, anyway, anyone feel free to fact check me on that. But I think that that's true. I friggin' loved this. There are so many parts of these two episodes where I physically said out loud by myself because I was watching it by myself twice. This feels like Star Wars. Uh, and certainly with that immediate opening, it also set a pretty dark tone. It's all in red and the music's creepy. Yeah, it's like there There are also some other moments throughout these two episodes where it kind of feels like the music should be light, but it's very like ominous chords or whatever. And they definitely started it off that way, which I love. But it's very, it's it's so interesting. I mean, it was a very Star Wars opening, let's say that, but it's also like the opposite of other openings we've seen in the original trilogy, right? Where it's like a bad guy's ship approaching a good guy's ship instead of vice versa, you know, for the original trilogy stuff. And just so, so good. And I really loved it. Did it, so it got you hooked right off the bat. Would you say that? Am I putting words in your mouth to say that? I mean, just like the trailer, which obviously the show is basically the trailer, just a little bit extended. Yeah, that that first scene, it's like the beginning of... Uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, the shuttle mm-hmm. comes in, lands on the Death right. Star, Vader's the Emperor shuttle. comes out or whatever, Vader comes out. Yeah, I thought that was very reminiscent of that when Balin shows up, you know, walking down the little catwalk off his shuttle. It was great. It, ha- it had the the Star Wars box that I personally expect. Sure. And even though like it had that crawl, again, the crawl being different from what we've seen in the past. So being familiar, but different, something that we as original trilogy Star Wars fans over time have had to develop the muscle of like, I'm accepting this. It's not scrolling through space. <laughs> it's just scrolling up and down like an Instagram right. feed. So, you know, it's different, but it's right. it's a crawl, you know? And how many times have we complained? There's no crawl. Well, right. we, we didn't have it for so long. Now we got it back and it feels even more special because of that. So that's kind of, that was a welcome thing for me. Yeah, I think it's very, it felt to me very much a blend of like traditional Star Wars crawl and Filoni Clone Wars like opening card. Oh, I would love that the quote right before the yeah. episode. I would love just that. Yeah. So that that would be a cool thing for her for him to implement there. But also it felt it felt like a judged up version of that to me. Mm. You know, he had more time for more of that, but it was just kind of flat on the screen instead of like shooting out into space type yeah, crawl. Yeah. Anyway, that's our uh that's the episode. We're just <laughs> we're talking about the crawl the whole time. No, but I I think this is a good jumping on point to talking more about Filoni and oh, I struggled with this show. I struggled with the lead up to this show for the past year of being like uh pretty on the fence to maybe a little bit more cautiously optimistic, sort of not putting the appropriate amount of faith in Dave Filoni. And I gotta say, I feel so differently and bad about that now. Like, I didn't put enough faith in him as I should have, and he really, like, shoved my face in it with these first two episodes because they were so, so, so good. Ahsoka 
felt so much more like Ahsoka than she has in other live action stuff. It all just came together. And I think we can talk about some of like what I would consider to be seamless transitions from animation to live action. But the quest, the overall question here, I think is like, how did he do it? How did he do it? He's so good. He's so good at Star Wars and he's so good at making Star Wars. And it doesn't seem to matter if it's live action or uh, animation. Anytime you hear him talk, he's deeply rooted in the story of, you know, who the characters are, what their motivations are. I love when he talks about like Anakin needing a father figure early on, mm. you know, like he he is really thinking about deeper things than the average home viewer is. And that that comes across in the show. I think he's got his own kind of like style and stamp on it, especially in this live action Ahsoka series now that's different from Mando and different from Boba Fett and different from Obi-Wan and Andor Holy Cow, all these live action shows that we have now, but mm -hmm. totally different. Like this feels different from them. And I don't think it's a different as in better, even though I'm pretty sure on our trailer reaction video, we were like, where is this season going to stack up against all these other shows? Yeah. But it's holding its own because he is respectful of the craft of storytelling. And how did he do it? I think he's gained enough like background experience from these other shows. Whether or not you like these other shows, he's been involved in the, the processes of some of them. He's seen how they're putting them together. He's talking to all these different directors. So he's growing lots of other muscles other than just like, I sure know a lot about Star Wars. Like, how do we make a live action series. I don't know, but he's seen a lot of that happen in the last couple of years and he's taken a swing at it and it's working out. Yeah, I remember when they announced that he was going to be making a movie at the end of all of this, the kind of culmination of the Imperial Remnant storyline and some of the conversation being like, I don't know if George Lucas has sort of the background or the chops to direct you know, a live action or a, or a cinematic version of Star Wars. And I think that this, in at least in these first two episodes, I guess he directed Master and Apprentice. Uh, he did not direct Toil and Trouble, but he's written all of these. And if you go back and watch the episodes of The Mandalorian that he's directed, not only written, I think it just really shows that he is very competent in being able to do all of these things. There's no, there doesn't seem to be a line for him between directing for animation and directing for live action. And that really, really shows in some of the nuances and minutia of these characters that he has written for 15 years. He's made Star Wars for like 15 years now. So he's one of the most prolific Star Wars creators. And he's George Lucas's protege. And he knows everything there is to know. I was noticing some of the language used is very Clone Wars-y and feels very that vibe. But just the movements, the way Ahsoka moves, the way she speaks, it's like he has the history of Ahsoka in animation dedicated to his mind, and he is directing Rosario Dawson to, to move like that and act like that, and all of the nuances of that direction. Even Hugh Yang. It is incredible. That droid moves just like he moves in the Clone Wars. It's amazing to see. It sounds the same. His body's making the same noises, which is all great. But like the actual physical movements are the same. Like that sort of maybe like skinless Terminator kind of janky old robot movements. It's just so incredible to see that transition. And that's what I mean. 
it's making it, for me, it's making it feel like a seamless transition. There's no difference in these characters because the way they're moving, the way they're talking, the way Ahsoka's like doing her long blink when Hera's trying to like talk sense into her is all just like, yep, that's the same Ahsoka, right? There's no question in my mind. And this is the first time also that I have felt that this is the same Ahsoka that I know and love from the Clone Wars and then Rebels. So I know you haven't seen as much of the animated stuff as I have, but I'd be curious to know what you think of sort of that transition, like the characters that you do know, like obviously Ahsoka, but then like the Rebels crew and all that stuff, how they like transition, not only in like, you know, how they look in their live action counterparts and stuff. But the thing about Rebels is it's a, it's a family. They were a family and we got very like emotionally attached. So there were very specific ways that they talked to each other and acted towards each other. How do you see that transitioning into live action? Yeah, I love everything you just said. That Filoni has been doing it for 15 years, whether that's like the down to the, you know, year accurate number or whatever. Like, you're right. Like that experience uh, is nothing to, you know, I don't know, insert whatever metaphor you want there. That's a lot of experience. So the movement, that's so interesting that you're pointing that out because I've noticed a couple of times like, Ahsoka like holds her hand out when she's like talking to a hologram for like just like a little too long or something. It's like weird, but it like looks to me like you would have animated it like that. And Mm -hmm. like, that's just the way it would have been. Like maybe that's a a conscious direction thing. The hologram of Ezra when he's like, uh, you know, you're kind of like, you're kind (laughs) of like my sister. And he He does this with his hand behind his his head behind his head. And he puts his hands in front of him for a second. Like he's kind of nervous to like admit that like, you know, I love you too. So yeah, yeah. Those have to be intentional things, and they make it feel a lot like the characters in Rebels, if you're familiar with that, obviously. If not, you're just being introduced to what the characters are. If you go back, it probably will pay off, you know, retroactively as well. It's so fascinating. And you think, like, you know, we mentioned Solo earlier. If you're an actor trying to, you know, like, Ewan McGregor trying to be like Alec Guinness, you know? You know, whether you're trying to be young Solo or young Obi-Wan or older or younger, whoever... Uh, you're trying to like sort of emulate that other actor while bringing your own sort of thing. But here, you know, you're not emulating an actor. You're emulating like a character model. It's such a different way to look at it. And that's fascinating in its own right. But with Dave Filoni at the helm, it's like, no, here's how they would move. Like he knows how they would move, right? Because he's been doing it for 15 years. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so their introductions into the series, like I would agree with you that Ahsoka feels like I don't have a disconnect at all. It's not like there's the Inquisitor in Obi-Wan and there's the Inquisitor in Rebels, you know? Like, it's not a a different version to me. Like, even though I know those are both the same canon Grand Inquisitor, but like Mm -hmm. the visual is a little bit harder to connect. You're right with Ahsoka. It feels one-to-one. I think Rosario Darson is doing an incredible job becoming that (laughs) character model. So funny to like phrase it like this, but she's embodying the character well, I think. And then Chopper, perfect one-to-one. Perfect. <laughs> That's an yep. easy one. The Loath Cats, <laughs> crushing it. Those look great. Yep. And then so you get uh, Sabine and Ezra. And those, I, I, we haven't seen Ezra really up close yet, so that's maybe hard to judge. Sabine doesn't quite feel one-to-one to me, but I hmm, feel like we're going to get to know her more. Uh, for some reason, she does feel a little bit like a different character to me. So I'm still kind of getting used to that as someone, you know, who's seen Rebels and just that's that's my own opinion. Maybe you have a different one. One thing I thought was really funny is the governor. I didn't realize that he is the voice of the governor. Clancy. 
Yeah. Clancy Brown. Is that yep. it? Clancy Brown. That he is actually the voice in Rebels. And I was like, yep. man, he sure looks a lot like that character. They picked a really good actor to portray that. Like, oh, they must have. Sounds like him too. Yeah, right. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah. Writer Azadi. Nice. Yeah. So that was a really, that's an easy win right there when it's the same I person sort of thing. Or like with Bo-Katan and, you know, yep. Katie Sackhoff. So that's cool. I'm having some trouble maybe with Hera too, but at least like she's got the goggles and the, you know, the Twi'lek thingamajiggies. So you can at least visually cue with her a little bit more. Her eyes, I think, are the thing that throw me off, as stupid as that is. It's like a Grand Inquisitor thing. Okay, but anyway, character design, that's that's a that's maybe an unfair, yeah, yeah. unfair metric. And that only matters if you've seen Rebels, right? So this is another asterisk. And I like how they're introducing them kind of one by one, but they keep saying everyone's characters' names a lot. Like they really want you to know who is who, and that's kind of yeah. important. That's sort of the weird balance of of them already existing and needing you to catch up a little bit. But, you know, they're getting the gang together on the show, but they're also getting the gang back together for previous fans. So that's kind of a really, you know, this is the classic animated live action conundrum that you fall into. So it's a little weird sometimes when they're like, Sabine Wren, Sabine Wren, Sabine Wren. Mm. You're like, oh, okay, we get it. Ezra Bridger, like they say the names a lot, which can yeah. be helpful, but it's also kind of like, well, just to, just assume we know. You know, if we don't hmm. know, it will learn through the season. You know how you watch a new TV show and you don't know anyone's names until like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like that's fine. We don't have to memorize their names just yet. So, man, really long-winded there, but I, I think they're mostly sticking the landing with the transition of the characters. And I'm excited to get to know them more. Like I said, with Sabine, you know, and Ezra, like, and Hera, like maybe I can just be okay with them being a new sort of version in my own headcanon on this show mm. and love that version in a different way than I love their animated versions. Yeah, it's very different for me because I have found even for them to be more of a seamless transition. Like you said, we haven't seen Ezra up close, but just the way that that hologram speaks and acts and moves and everything, yeah. all of it. And Sabine, I think it's so interesting. Maybe she's the most, in my mind, she wasn't that detached from the uh, Sabine we saw in Rebels. But I think she's gone through the most, maybe the most different changes. Like they've all fought, like Hera has fought in the Battle of Endor at this point and won and she's a general. And, and But that was always like following her trajectory. We find out that Sabine like trained with Ahsoka to be like a quote unquote Jedi. We're going to maybe define what, what a Jedi means a little bit more, but she's gone through the most different thing for her character. And maybe that's why this future version of the character feels different. With Hera, there's been a lot of talk about like maybe blending her makeup a little bit better and stuff like that, that, that might, uh, might help some of the visual aspects. Certainly, listen, I loved Obi-Wan. I, I love the Grand Inquisitor. There was a disconnect in the way that those two characters look. It's much less so with Hera. But Hera, can I also say that there were more choked up moments for me in these two episodes than I've experienced in Star Wars for a long, long time. Because I'm so attached to these characters, because I've also spent 15 years plus or whatever with these characters seeing the way that they're acting. Kevin Kiner's music is something that we could dedicate days to talking about and how Dave Filoni plus Kevin Kiner is Star Wars to me. That's it. That's where, that's like what makes Star Wars special to me in 2023. But Hera, so many moments in this, in these episodes with Hera that just kind of got me. 
still the perfect space mom, still like the leader of that perfect family, like never upset or angry, always approaching each situation with Ahsoka and Sabine with caring and compassion and clarity. When Sabine is injured and she's in the hospital and Ahsoka leaves the room and Sabine and Hera, the hologram of Hera, are having the conversation and Hera said, you did great or you did good. And Sabine says, you should tell her that. And Hera says, I do, but she's not the one who needs to hear it right now. Like that is, I have goosebumps right now because that is perfect. And that's what I mean. These characters continue to be perfect. I thought they were perfect for four seasons in Rebels and they continue to be perfect now. So more seamless of a transition, I think, there for me than than maybe what you were saying. For all the, like, maybe, if you could even call that rant, I just went on any kind of gripes there. Like, I enjoy that they've sort of paced those scenes. I, I think some people are complaining about this, but, like, how they linger on the characters a little bit. You can see their reactions and their space between people responding to a line, you know, and before they cut to another scene. So you get to live in their emotions for a minute before smash cutting to some other, you know, kooky adventure. And that makes it more meaningful to me. Like those are the moments that I'm looking more forward to of like, let me just understand their relationship because nobody else knows that Hera was, you know, Sabine's space mom, as you put it, right? So we've got to develop that relationship. So having those moments is cool. I'm hoping that that continues to like flourish in the way that I see the characters uh, further in the, the series. Agreed. And those spaces that like white space between dialogue or between certain things happening, it adds so much more thoughtfulness, right? If Ahsoka is pausing, taking a pause to reflect on her answer. I mean, that's just so Ahsoka. And we're seeing, like I said, for me, the same Ahsoka that I saw in the animated series, especially Rebels, and so much more of Ahsoka than what we saw in the other live action shows smooth, soothing, calm, but now also like sad and regretful, right? She's talking about Anakin and leaving him behind. And then she says like, like I left Sabine behind. So very like regretful for some of the choices that she's made, but so much more of maybe what we saw in Rebels where she was starting to feel that, especially when she learned that Anakin became Vader. That long-winded part is all to say that those pauses Those moments are so great for the actual, like, connection with the character. It's not developing the situations very quickly, but it's great that it's not because it's so much more thoughtful this way. We're not watching Star Wars because the plot of blowing up a space station (laughs) is like, whoa, you'll never believe it. They all make it out alive. The end result is not you know so and that's the thing people complain about like if this is a side quest episode or whatever like it's not about what thing they're retrieving it's not about getting the map you know it's about those character moments yeah dude and come on you've got my full attention star wars so we can go slow like andor it's it's all freaking dialogue for an hour we can take some time and live with these characters we're gonna more highly regard the series in the long run because of that rather than short-term, like, pew-pews action and, I don't know, cameos and so forth. Yeah, so much of this, especially the first episode, at least what I noticed, so much of the first episode was silent, right? Like, we have Balin uh, attack the rebel transport, but then once Morgan Elsbeth says Ahsoka's name, we meet Ahsoka on that 
planet. There's no, there's like ghost force whispers as the uh, caption said. But other than that, there's no speaking. The first word she says is Hugh Yang, which is incredible because I also love him, voiced by David Tennant, of course, but just a great character from one of my favorite episodes or arcs of The Clone Wars. One of the next things she says is the interaction between her and Hugh Yang about him, like, keeping the ship too far away, and he's just falling back on his Jedi protocols, right? And she says, next time, stay close, watch my back, which I would be very surprised if that's not a direct copy and paste line of dialogue from Anakin to Ahsoka in an episode of The Clone Wars. And it's stuff like that where I have that connection. It doesn't matter if you don't because it's still their interaction in that moment is still great, but it's just so good. I agree. Hey, can I throw out a, a Hugh Yang? A Hugh Yang or Yu Yang? How do they say it? Hugh Yang. Hugh? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like wearing a kilt. Why don't more droids wear clothes? Like what if C- C-3PO had, you know, a tunic or something, you know? I think that would be pretty cool. Like he's a Jedi robot. It makes sense that he sort of has like maybe a little bit of Jedi garb. That's something mm. I noticed in this episode. I can't think of any other droids that had like uh, prominent costuming. <laughs> attire, yeah. Yeah, I, man, you just like, my mind just went in so different places in the last three seconds. Like, do you think it's because David Tennant always voiced the character and he's Scottish, so it was a thing? Or do you think Yu Yang had like a Jedi that he was close to and 500 years ago and that's it? Uh, you know, this stuff really just makes me realize how much I love Star Wars, you know? Mm. You know what I mean? I, I think the show in general is doing a very good job of hitting us in the feels. And, and not just because you're steeped in the Rebels and Clone Wars stuff. I think, like, in general, no. like, the slowness reminds me of A New Hope, a movie that was made in the 70s, you know, right. when people were used to sitting down and, like, just this is what you got, you know? Not changing the channel or swiping to the next thing because that 15 seconds of content was not enough <laughs> to say, to satisfy you. So, right. yeah, I love that. We've approached the topic that I have a rant about, but we've approached it so kind of like calmly and somewhat dismissively that I'm wondering if I shouldn't rant because the rant does not match the vibe of what we've currently got going on. So I might not do it and I might just continue being happy. Sure. Let's do that. Let's cultivate some positivity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's, here's a question. You've also talked, Royce, about how I think you were excited for Ahsoka because of the Jedi, for the Jedi. We, we haven't seen many Jedi lately. I think you called uh, Andor, quote-unquote, Jedi light. We didn't get all that much. We haven't gotten all that much besides Obi-Wan. So what did you think of sort of the reintroduction into this heavy Jedi-ness, the ones with orange lightsabers. Sabine, maybe, and of course Ahsoka, but then also other Force sensitives like, oh, the Witches of Dathomir, which we also called during our trailer breakdown episode. But Morgan Elsbeth, Witches of Dathomir, other Force users. Well, it is interesting that Balin's like, there are so few of us left. Uh, and then you're like, well, there's Ahsoka, there's Ezra, there's maybe Sabine, like <laughs> probably, you know, there's obviously that's still not a lot, but it's interesting that on a show where you're like, there's not a lot of us like, well, almost everybody, like 50% of the main cast is a Jedi. Well, there used to Jedi. be 10,000 Jedi Knights protecting right. the galaxy. So. Right. I'm just being a troll. <laughs> but I, I, 
again, I think that's part of the Star Wars box that it just feels right that there would be Jedi. And especially now that we've established that this post prequel trilogy era is like, well, it's because they were wiped out. Like that's been so well documented, this transition from the Republic to the Empire and then the Rebellion where like Jedi become this sort of like, I'm going to fight the war for you, you know, sort of thing. Mm. Uh, these like mystical figures and that there's so few of them and that makes it even more special than it would have been in the prequels when there were 10,000 of them. So I love that. Minor gripes, the lightsabers look like different to me. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. It's it's interesting that lightsabers are another element that throughout Star Wars have different sort of vibes to them. Like when you watch A New Hope, like those lightsabers look way different. You know, you yeah. watch the prequels, again, a totally different style. Of course, you go to Rebels and they're these little skinny toothpicks. <laughs> I, I do think that, that these visually seem to be a blend of the animated lightsabers that we've seen and the live action lightsabers like they're not as big and bulky and clunky and the plasma blades are maybe a little bit thinner and maybe a little bit more of a point at the end of them so again maybe more like transitioning that from animation to live action yeah i would love to hear some of the design people talk more about why they made certain aesthetic choices with that because that's obviously like really huge iconography for star wars yeah. the lightsaber the X-Wing, you know, and it seems like they've used uh, some of those kind of concept art sort of X-Wings on Lothal or whatever, you know. So there's things that look Star wars even if they're a little bit different. Lightsabers, you can obviously tell it's a lightsaber. That was just something I noticed. I don't know if anybody else is thinking about uh, <laughs> the look of the lightsaber blade. But yeah, I, you know, without the Jedi, how can there be any balance? Like in your Star Wars, without any Jedi, how can there be any balance? So I think it's just, it's cool that they're in this. It makes it feel different from some of the other series. And I think that's important in the grand scheme of all of the shows. We've got to have a little bit of all of this stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I tend more towards the mystical, magical force stuff of Star Wars. That being said, Andor is one of the greatest pieces of Star Wars I've ever seen. So we're definitely, like I've said before on here, we're expanding the definition of Star Wars and making it certainly more inclusive to people who don't want like magicians and laser swords and wizards and stuff. We got Tony Gilroy with Andor creating a very accessible while also being a very good and very Star Warsy show. Uh, and now this, which is very mystical. I love the Witches of Dathomir. I love the Night Sisters. I can't wait to see more and hear more about that and her connection to that. And of course, I love the lightsabers. And I also really, this is something maybe I haven't talked a lot about on the show. I really, really love lightsaber construction and the meaning behind different hilts. I think this is such a cool role for Hugh Yang to play in this show. Ahsoka tells him to like go over the footage and research their lightsabers. And he was, he's the droid who like taught Jedi Padawans how to build their lightsabers. And he understood them. He understood the Padawans and he like had different parts that he would pull out for each one. The Wookiee one gets the uh, wooden hilt made from the bark of the tree from Kashyyyk or whatever. And so he has this intuition, but he also has this database. He says, Balin's skull is the only Jedi I knew that ever constructed a lightsaber like this. And that is such a cool role for this character. Like he's not just there to be the sassy droid sidekick. He's actually has a purpose and is very competent, much like Chopper, who's the most sassy droid 
sidekick, but also like has a purpose and is very competent. I really, really loved that. And then he like figures out who they are based on their lightsaber hilts. So, so, so cool. Going back to Morgan Elsbeth being connected with the Night Sisters, she seems to be picking up on these maybe force echoes or something. And that she says Thrawn is calling to her through time and space, which is a little strange. My first thought was was exactly what Balin said, which was like, those are dreams, right? Like the Jedi, we know, especially from the prequels, don't really trust the dream stuff, right? It's kind of a mixture of force sensitivity and hope. So they kind of put that aside, but she's not doing that. Always in motion, the future is. Right. Which Balin tries to say a couple of times, but that like Thrawn is calling to her, but Thrawn's not force sensitive and probably wouldn't manipulate someone who's force sensitive to get in touch with her because he has a history of protecting force sensitives. Listen, anyone listening who doesn't know the backstory and would like to know more, please comment, send us an email, kryptonalderon at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I can be your Wikipedia. I've done the deep dives. But like, there is a group of beings out there in Thrawn's space that would manipulate Force-sensitive beings to communicate to outside galaxies that might also want to get to outside galaxies to bring war and bring their wrath onto. There was a lot of maybe misdirection stuff peppered throughout this episode. Were you getting any misdirection vibes? Because no one actually ever said, I've heard rumors of Thrawn being heir to the Empire, right? It was all very much like, hmm, Ahsoka kept saying, well, our enemies believe this, so we have to go this way, right? Yeah, sounds like you've got some left field theories. Uh, I wasn't reading into that yet. I was just, you know, she's a witch. She's got powers beyond reason, you know? So (laughs) we all have them, my dear. That's a little Superman 2 for you all out there. Superman 2. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. But now that you're saying this, like, I don't know, this could be Snoke or Palpatine. Mm. I don't, you know, who knows? You know, whatever theory you want to put out. I was just trusting it that she obviously can commune with whatever that is, holograms or time. And maybe she can commune through time and space. You know, that's not maybe like a strict Jedi power. It could be witchcraft. Like, and that's... That's Star Wars, baby. That's Star Wars, baby. We're back. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I mean, there's so many questions. It's just cool to see the mystical stuff. Like I've said, probably ad nauseum on this podcast. Oh, you know what? Like, I'm getting so many Indiana Jonesy vibes. Like, let's turn the thing and the dials will be like maneuver when the sun hits this spot. It'll, you know, reveal itself. You know, they've they've got the map. They need to turn the map, but they needed to turn the temple. Uh, yeah. you know, we've got the dagger in, you know, Rise of Skywalker uh, that shows you where the, worse. the wayfar- Wayfinder is. The Wayfinder brings you to Exegol. Like, Star Wars is, like, really becoming this sort of, like, all of those things are sort of mystical, you know? That feels less yeah. forcey to me and more more like this is just this ancient Rubik's Cube sort of thing, this puzzle that you've got to solve. Also, let's see, maybe this is, I don't know if this is what you said uh, before recording. Hey, let's see if this comes up. Balin asks, like, what is what is all this stuff? Who Or who built this place or whatever? And she says, an ancient people from a distant galaxy. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, she just said a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, we could roll you the credits. You would have been mad if she had said that. The <laughs> internet would have been mad if she had said that and then just like looks at the camera like Jim from The Oink? Office and yeah. then the credits roll. 
Is that not an intentional line of dialogue, though? An ancient people from a distant galaxy. I didn't put two and two together. Maybe because I was so excited for what that could mean. But I did not. You, 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 uh, sometimes you pick up on that stuff uh, more than I do as well. You, you also mentioned a very meta, seemingly meta series of dialogue, which I also did not pick up on from Balin in that same scene, right? Was that in the same scene? No, well, th- uh, those are two different scenes when they're on that planet with the temple and then when they're on uh-huh. the other planet with the other temple. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, his apprentice asking him what happens when when we find Thrawn, right? But that's kind of also what I'm saying here because there are these moments that don't necessarily pigeonhole the characters in these ways, right? We we think that they're searching for Thrawn because they want him to rule the Empire, but no one's actually said that. And Balin has a lot of different reasons that a lot of different people might want to find Thrawn. So there might be some kind of bait and switch going on here, you know? Balin also says he was paid well to yeah. free Morgan. Yes. So he, like, is he a contractor sort of thing? Like, And yep. when we talk about the loyalty of the Empire people working on Corellia. So that's a really interesting money. sort of thread here that we're kind of picking up, picking up on. Yeah, Balin says, when we find Thrawn, like, war for some and unlimited power for others or uh, and a new beginning a new and a new beginning right yeah i thought that was funny because that's that star wars fans like when we reveal yeah. that palpatine is back it's gonna mean war, war. for some <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a new beginning for others that are like "Ooh, i've i'm nine years old and i've never seen star wars before but whoa yeah. palpatine you know that's one of those meta moments that i maybe read too much into but i love those because it makes it more like it maybe Maybe they intended more meaning from that. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a throwaway line of dialogue that's just great for a trailer. War. Let's call it war. Like, yes, it's just great dialogue, period. And you can take from it what you want. That is the beauty of all art. Whether or not you take out canon or you take out the discourse in the fandom, uh, that's up to you. But I I just find that funny because I guess I'm feeling like a troll lately so no i think that that's i think that that's great as and the second time i watched it was after we had had that conversation and it's it feels really a lot like a uh, this should begin to make things right mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. right love it do you think that throughout the season we will be asking what even is a jedi right like what does it mean to be a jedi because we are seeming to expand that definition in these first two episodes, the first one's called Master and Apprentice. We have Balin and Shin and Ahsoka and Sabine. But obviously, we don't see Sabine use the Force. She's never been Force-sensitive before. But Ahsoka's training her. Ahsoka, I think in the promotion for this show, it, it calls her former Jedi Knight, Ahsoka Tano. So there's a lot of, like, Jedi-ish people here. So do you think that we're getting into this realm of, like, well, there's nothing in the rule book that says a Jedi has to have the Force. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and Balin's even like, her presence in the Force is elusive. You know, I can't yeah. sense her presence, but she clearly has the Force. So, yeah, that, it's a really interesting area that they're exploring here. Obi-Wan's talking to Owen Lars, and he's like, the boy must be trained. And you're like, if we haven't seen him do anything, he's just a boy. But he's like, but he's yeah. going to be a Jedi. Like, of course. you, Of course we're going to train him sort of thing. Obviously, he's Anakin's son, so there's that. But, you know, right. I'm just going to train him. That's just what you do. He's going to be a Jedi, you know? Ahsoka obviously has that uh, Tales of the Jedi story where she shows the abilities, and then they 
oh, maybe she is Jedi and they take her away and they train her. And you've got Sabine who like is training with Kanan, then later training with Ahsoka that we haven't really seen, but she's like training with them, but not force sensitive, but why not train? And Kanan's not going to train her differently because she's not technically a Jedi when he's showing her how to wield the Darksaber, you know? It's the same idea, you know? Like, center yourself, focus. It's all the same stuff, whether or not you're Force-sensitive or not, in having that sort of, like, trust in yourself and trust in others. And that's another thing that, like, everybody can take from Star Wars. You know, Luke flying down the trench, you know? Turn your targeting computer off. Trust yourself sort of thing. That's such a huge theme for... Uh, maybe Jedi in Star Wars, but anybody can tap into that. You get Leia in Return of the Jedi and Luke's like, you have a power too. And she's like, no, I could never have, you know, but later she's like, you know, I, I guess I've always known it's been there. And then she flies through space later on. Like she, everybody, <laughs> everybody can tap into it. And that is one of the biggest things that I freaking love about Star Wars the broom boy at the end of Last Jedi. Yeah, all, broom boy. We're all a little bit broom boy. I got to put that on a t-shirt or a hat or something. I just, <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest Last Jedi fan, but I love that last scene. <laughs> or I've actually come to come to love that. I, I don't know if I liked it at first, but I do love that scene now, today. Ask me again sometime. <laughs> but, you know, Luke, like, Luke didn't even know he was Force-sensitive until Obi-Wan was like, have you heard of the Force? You can tap into it. It's pretty great. And then he does. He's got the bloodline, but... It's there for you if you're willing to tune into it. And who knows? Sabine has been told she doesn't have as much aptitude in the Force as literally every other Padawan. But that's also like some fighting words. I believe if you told that to a Mandalorian, I'll, I'll show you. Yes, very much like nobody tells me what I can't do, right? But also that particular scene with Hugh Yang and, and Sabine in the hospital room, also a very beautiful scene. That whole conversation, it's relatively quiet. There's a lot of like silence and pauses. David Tennant speaking through. That whole thing is just so perfect and familial and kind of like passionately calm. I don't know. It's so, so good. But then, yes, like challenging her maybe a little bit to be well, like... She's still kind of beaten up. But yeah, he's yeah. he's goading her into it like, hey, step, rise up to the occasion. Right. Only you can make these choices. She says, uh, Ahsoka stopped training me. And Hugh Yang is like, well, that's, a, that's an excuse and a poor one. You know, it's so, so, so good. But then also like, we know the history of the, we, you and I, and probably many of the listeners, if not all of them, know the history of the Darksaber and Tar Vizsla right? But we don't know if he ever had the Force. We don't know if Mandalorians are, hmm. are are capable of that or not. I don't think there might be some comic books or books or something that that correct me there. But like, we just don't know. And all of the Darksaber training is trusting yourself. It needs to be an extension of you. You're a Mandalorian. Weapons need to be an extension of you. We haven't seen anyone besides Ezra and Kanan wield the Darksaber that actually have Force powers, right? Sabine, hmm. Bo, Din, Nobody. And Din has the most trouble with it because he's the most, you know, he just doesn't like let go. He he just can't connect with it. So there's so much there. There's so much there. And I'm so excited to enter this phase of like, of being like, I had a completely, I thought I had the definition of Jedi. I was, if you would have asked me two days ago, I would have been like, this is the definition of a Jedi. Force powers. I should say the connection to the force that allows them to like, manipulate it to 
make it seem like they have powers, whatever. I would have put that in that box. And now we're expanding these boxes. So you know what we're doing? We're expanding boxes of Star Wars within boxes of Star Wars that we're also expanding. How about that? This sounds like an episode of Futurama. <laughs> oh, nice. A history lesson from Mr. I'm My Own Grandpa. <laughs> I like our... We're having some references today, which is which is cool. But no, but I love this, like, expanding the definition of what a Jedi is. And I really do hope this is kind of a thread we pull on going through the course of this show. That lightsaber is Sabine's now. So when they find Ezra, is he... What's he gonna... Like, we don't even know. Mm. He might, I have a he new might one. be like, don't I'm done. Or, or he might be like, I'm done being, you know, I lost my master. I couldn't save him. I, you know, sacrificed myself to save the galaxy. I don't want to be a Jedi. So there's, there's so many threads to pull on here that can redefine what it means to be a Jedi that I really, really am starting to love. And it's only been two episodes. Oh my goodness. I have to say, like, pretty low on the complaint. So I, you know, I'm very excited. This conversation has got me even more stoked for the next one. So... One last little point here. On our trailer breakdown episode, we asked, will Ahsoka be the best live action Star Wars? We said yes then. <laughs> I, I still say yes now. And we said, you know, is it, it's different, right? It's different. Again, we're expanding the box, but it's different than Andor. It's different than everything so far. And you said at the beginning of this episode, you said different. I don't know if that's also better. I'm going to say and better. <laughs> this is Star Wars to me. If it's not for you, great. You know, I love that for you. Whatever you love about Star Wars is great. But this is so Star Wars to me. I'm very excited for it to continue. Where I was trying to reserve my excitement leading up to it, I'm now trying to reserve being worried about it going forward. I want to go into every episode being excited and not worrying about them messing it up. So the tables have turned there, but I'm super stoked after these two and different and better. Well, it's also interesting now that it's out and you have been given the taste of the sort of genre it's living in. So now you know what to expect going forward, too. I think that makes it a little bit easier to enjoy. You know, when you know sure. it's a monster of the week, that just get used to it or whatever yeah. it is, which I think this so far, everything's been fluid. I know only two episodes, but even like scene to scene, I love yeah. how it's flowing so far. And if that's the way that they're telling this story, you know, Boba Fett had flashbacks. That's how they're telling the story. However, they're right. telling it, you know, okay, go along with that ride and and enjoy it for what they're setting up for you. We're both excited for the next yeah. one. <laughs> Continue <laughs> sticking the landing. Uh, yeah. We didn't go into the music. We didn't even talk about the wipes. So many wipes, wiping uh, almost every damn scene. <laughs> when you mentioned the when you mentioned the flow and the scene transitions just then, I was about to be like, and the wipes and the, like. <laughs> Wipe sound effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, there's so much to go into, but not today. We'll circle back to all of these amazing points that we could probably fill three hours today or more. Uh, <laughs> more more podcast runtime than even episode <laughs> runtime, I'm sure would be no problem. But we'll circle back for another week. Listeners, we would love to keep the conversation going. If you're here on YouTube, drop us some comments or leave us a review wherever you're listening to on your podcast apps. Hit us up wherever you like to social media. Make sure to subscribe for more conversations about Ahsoka and more. Thanks for listening to the show today. I've been Royce. I've been Mithron Yorodo. And we've been <laughs> Krypton, Krypton to, to the Unknown the Region. Krypton to all the Krypton to all the
Thrawn Yorodo is Thrawn's full name. Oh. 